This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to the Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We want to empower you, so we've created one of the premier lifestyle shows that brings you tools previously only available to elite high performers. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here by signing up for the newsletter at The Art of Charm. We also give away some bonuses that we don't or can't share on the show at that website. And we also have our blog there where we really dive into some articles, deep dives on topics and different subjects that we don't normally cover on the show. So if you're new to the show, you want to find out more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, you can go to the website. We'll be sending you our fundamentals toolkit that covers topics like body language, nonverbal communication, vocal tonality, dating, attraction, persuasion, business networking, negotiation, relationship management, public speaking, and more. And we've got our live programs running every week here in Los Angeles, California. In fact, we've got guys from all over the world, which shows that no matter where you are, you can make it here if you want to learn and grow. Those are sold out five or six months in advance, so if you're thinking about it a little now, go ahead and give us a call and get some info from us so you can plan ahead. Looking forward to meeting you here at The Art of Charm. Today we've got a little bit of a bonus episode, a little impromptu short notice interview with none other than Larry King. We didn't know how long this call was going to be, neither him nor I. We're going to talk about a few things about interviewing and, of course, his area of expertise, namely how he learned the craft of the interview, which parts are teachable and which are not, in his opinion. Where did the trademark suspenders come from? How does Larry King prepare for an interview? And last but not least, what's the most important characteristic of any interviewer? So enjoy this one with Larry King. Hey, Larry, how are you? Okay. Glad to have you. Thanks. It's a real honor. You know, I grew up watching you, and I'm sure you've heard that. It probably gets old. But I'm glad to have you on here. And, and you know, you've been, as you know, you've been doing this for such a, a long time. I'm very curious about what you think about some of the trends where you see broadcasting going. I mean, you were in radio before TV news existed. And, and I, I want to know how you apply yourself to a craft before you think it's even going to work out or, or turn you into a household name. Well, that's a lot of things. I uh, I, only, I I do what I do. The methods of transmission are all different than when I started. You know, I started radio and television very early. I've always done both. I did I started radio in '57 and television in '59, and always did both. But I uh, I'm just always with me. So whether it's the internet or satellites or wherever I'm at, I, I do me. So I interview people. That hasn't changed. Right. I, I ask good questions. I listen to the answers. I follow up. I, I understand pacing. I know broadcasting. So broadcasting is a broad term to me. So whether it's a, a podcast, a radio broadcast, a television broadcast, it's a broadcast. An internet show. I do an internet show. I do a podcast with my wife. I I do a television. I do a, a two television shows. I do a, a show about politics. I do a regular a regular talk show. I do a special politics show. I do a baseball show for the Dodgers. But on all those shows and all the things and all the years I've been doing it, and I've been doing it 58 years, it's who, what, where, when, why. And that hasn't changed. What prompts you to still do the work? I mean, I... Oh, I always want... I, what, I don't know what prompted me. When I was five years old, I'd listen to the radio. And uh, I was a radio freak. 
I knew all the radio shows. I knew what time all the shows was on. I knew all the stations growing up in New York and Brooklyn. I, I knew what I wanted to listen to. I uh, used to imitate the announcers. I would hear one say one thing and another say another, and I would try to do what they did. And I would put my hands over my ears and be the shadow and listen to all the old programs, and I loved it. I never wanted to do anything else. My father died when I was only nine, and uh, I had to help my mother. I didn't go to college, so I worked at a bunch of odd jobs, but as soon as my brother got out of school and he went to became a lawyer in New York, I got the opportunity to go down to Miami and break into radio, and that's all I ever wanted to do. Why do you still do the work now? I mean, obviously, you've you've been doing it for so long. Is it just that you can't imagine stopping, or is, it, is there still that much more to create? I thought I could stop. Uh, so a couple of years ago, when the CNN thing ended, ended, I thought, well, I've got my two boys. I, I've got grown children. I can watch my boys play baseball, and they're both very, very good at it. And and that would take up a lot of my time, but I, I found that I just flat out missed it because it's the kind of thing that gets in you. As Milton Berle once said to me when I asked him if he planned to retire, he said, retire to what? I don't know what I do. You started in Brooklyn way back when. When when people meet me in real life, I often get the comment that I'm the same person off air or in real life as I am on air. What's the difference between Lawrence Zeiger and Larry King? No difference. Uh, the difference is the name. Uh, the only secret in this business, as Arthur Godfrey told me many, many, many years ago, is there's no secret. Just be yourself. It's either going to work or not work. Uh, the first day I went on the air, I was nervous. I told the audience I was nervous. I had a new name. I told the audience I had a new name. I never think about it. I don't think if I'm talking to one person or talking to the whole world, I'm seen all around the world. I never thought of that. I never went on the air saying, wow, London's watching. I just went on the air. I did what I did. I loved what I did. I put yesterday's show behind me. I didn't think about tomorrow's show. I did today's show today. My mind, I focus. No matter what I'm doing, if I'm doing stand-up comedy, I do a lot of that. I do tours. I, I speak at conventions. I love that. I love writing. I've written 15 books. I like that. I like the world of communications, all forms of it. But now how I'm delivered, I'm delivered a different way. Now I'm delivered on the internet. But what I'm doing is just what I've done. Was what I've done. It's always been just me. And how did you learn the craft in the first place? I mean, it was just I the didn't practice. Learn it. I, <laughs> I I learned it by doing it. Um, I started at a small station. I was a dish jockey. I got into interviewing very early. I did sports. I did news. But I just did it by doing it. I, I had a natural affinity for it. It is not brain surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know how to tell you. I, I couldn't do classes. I couldn't teach you. Two things I couldn't teach you is curiosity. You either have to have that or you don't have it. And I couldn't teach you pacing. I, I just, the good broadcaster has a natural sense of pace, an ease, sense of delivery, his phraseology works and all all that I don't think is I don't think is teachable. I mean there are courses in broadcasting. I've had people call me and tell me that I'm taught in courses. Uh, that they show my interviews and then the, the students discuss my methods. I don't know what my methods are. You know, I could give it to you in a couple of sentences. I ask short questions. They all have a question mark at the end. I don't make statements. I don't use the word I and I follow up. That's, that's what I've always done. But there's no learning process. I learned on the job. Yeah, it's definitely a different type of situation where you're, you're not necessarily a character in your own interviews. And I think that's a, an interesting distinction where a lot of hosts, myself included, often 
make themselves a character or make the show partly about themselves. You I really do don't that. do that. You never do that. The show is never about me. I was the conduit. And as Paul Newman told me once, well, your name is on the show. <laughs> you always come back the next day. So it's your show. It's always your show. But the guest counts. So a lot of the shows now, which I find unwatchable, uh, where the host is dominant. I always said, if you turn me on, 95% of the time, the guest should be talking. It's like it's like the opposite of my show. I don't think you <laughs> I don't think you would like to listen to this one, but I appreciate you coming on board well, anyway. Edit now. Wait a minute. You have to do what is your style. I mean, if your style is to be a character, if you're Bill O'Reilly who's a character, uh that's your style. That's your style. If that works for you, man, do it. I know what I did worked for me. I did it, done it for 58 years. Some, I must be doing something right. Right, yeah. But, but I have to do what pleases me. The show has to please me. It doesn't please me. People who do characters, I, I think it may work for them monetarily, but that's, they're two different people, and I'm not two different people. I understand that for sure. I, that's, I think that's what I meant in the beginning where you know I'm pretty much the same person on air as I am off air. I'm just less funny on my show than I am in, in real life, according to most people that know me. But now, how, your brand is obviously working for you. I mean, that that goes without saying. You're a legend in this business. How did the personal brand come about and evolve? I mean, you've got that microphone on your desk, or you had that microphone on your desk. That thing must be. I mean, there. That that's like the only one of its kind left. I would imagine you have to probably find a a very special type of person to even repair it if it ever needs repairs. And you've got the suspenders. You know, how did that come about? Well, the, the mic came about was uh, I, I, when I started on CNN, uh, the producer came to look and he saw that I had this uh, radio mic and I was so associated with uh, my national radio show. I did the first national radio show, radio talk show. Uh, so he went to some, I don't, know, I don't know where they got it, but they went to some place that had old stuff from radio and bought one of those cameras and put it one of those microphones and put it on my set on television. So they thought I would be associated with that. The suspenders, I, 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 when I did TV in Miami, I would wear like sweaters or open shirts. And uh, my ex-wife, uh, I was having dinner with her and she told me, why don't you get a new look? Why don't you try suspenders? Because my first year on CNN, I didn't use suspenders. And I had lost some weight, uh, I had, had heart surgery. And she said, it might look good for you. And I put them on and people said, boy, that looks good. And I just left them and I liked the look. So there's no secret to it. I put the suspenders on and I liked the look and people seemed to like it. And the microphone came with the, came with the territory. Of course. None of this was great extreme planning. Uh, the design of the set with the little bumps and the stars and the map of the world, that was the people at CNN came up with that idea. I'm a broadcaster. I'm not a scenic designer. I I don't know how a, how a set should look. I I just go on. I just do it. I do it. I don't think about the accoutrements around me. The makeup girl does the makeup. I do what I do. And how do you prepare for what you're doing? I mean, a lot of folks will look at this and go, oh, well, you know, there's so much prep behind the scenes, and he probably doesn't do any of it, but that cannot be true. I do a little prep. Uh, by the prep I do is a... Tomorrow, I'm interviewing uh, Larry Flint, who started the Hustler Empire, and, uh, and there's another guest. I forget who the guest is. So many times I'm driving, and I don't know who the guest is. When I get there, about a, a half hour before the show, they have some 
background information for me, and they'll tell me that you know the, maybe the age of the guest, or if it's a, a senator, recent votes they made, or the current things in the news. I keep up with the news. I read five newspapers every day. I'm aware of what's going on in the world. I never get questions to ask. I'm never given a question. But I'm given little tidbits, I would call them, little notes about the person. I glance at them. I use some, don't use others. And I begin, I don't know what my first question is when I have a guest. Uh, as I introduce the guest, I question comes from somewhere. And we go from there. And it, it's like, a, there's never been the perfect interview. All you can do is all you can do. People make it larger than I make it. Uh, I can understand that. I, I don't walk around thinking about it. I've never dwelt in it. I'm going, I don't even call it work. I'm going into Aura TV and I'm going to sit down and interview someone. It's part of my day. It's the best part of my day, except when I'm with my boys. Of course. And how, how do you listen to someone when you disagree with them or maybe you think you dislike them? Or do you go in kind of almost with like a Zen-like attitude towards someone's politics or actions? I don't bring my politics into it. I, I try to ask the best question. I have trouble with bigots. You know, I think that part of me comes out if someone is a racist or something. But if it's a political disagreement, I never let that affect the, the questions I ask. I try to ask the best questions. And I leave my feelings, my, I leave my political feelings uh, at the door. I leave my ego at the door, and I leave my political feelings at the door. And that way I can ask better questions. I don't, I'm not there to argue. I'm there to learn. No one knows everything. I don't know more law than the lawyer. I don't know no more medicine than the doctor. I learn a lot from, uh, that's what an experience should be. It should be entertaining and you should learn something at the same time if you're listening or watching me. You should come away with it with more knowledge than you had before in an entertaining fashion. I could just read a book and that would be informative. I could read uh, the encyclopedia and that would be informative. But if I ask good questions and the guest responds and I can draw the guest out and it's entertaining, it works. I don't make it larger than it is. Do you have a set of questions or, or a particular question that you use to dig a little bit deeper with, with guests? No. I said no. You know, I mean, I ask a lot of why questions. Sure. Why is a great way to ask. When I was nine years old, I would get on a bus and ask the bus driver why he wants to drive a bus. When I would go to ball games, my friends wanted autographs. I wanted to ask the players about what happened in the game. I was intensely curious, and that's what—that's the number one thing about me. I am intensely curious. And when you're intensely curious, you don't have to think about what you're going to ask. You're going to ask them, why did you do this? Why did that happen? What happened today? The, 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 the simplest questions are the best. When when we were at uh, after nine eleven and uh, I was on for ninety five straight nights, I went down to ground zero. I was basically asking the same question: What happened today? How do you feel about what happened? How do you react to what happened? What were you doing when it happened? You know, I've asked pilots: When you're going down the runway, do you know it's going to take off? <laughs> because I think of that when I'm sitting in a plane and we're going down the runway. Is it going to take off? So I'll ask a pilot, do you know it's going to take off? What do you know? I ask surgeons about going into surgery. What is it like to have that person's life in your hands? What's it like to be a criminal defense attorney defending a guy whose life is in your hands? What's it like to address a jury? Those are the things that fight. What's it like to fight a war? What's it like to climb a mountain? What's it like to be a dentist? 
so what, what, what's it like? And, and how do you keep that strategic mind, that of a journalist, and ask the probing questions while still remaining in the audience's mind to ask what they would like to know and what you would like to know, like balancing that curiosity with the journalistic aspect? What comes to me is my curiosity comes to me. I ask the best questions I can. And the compliments I'm often paid is I would have asked that. But I don't say to myself, does the audience want to know this? It's just guided by your own curiosity. Right. My own instincts, my own curiosity. I'm an everyday guy. You know, when New Yorker did a story, I mean, they called it street questions. I'm not an intellectual. I haven't read the great books. I, I read a lot, but I'm, I'm not experienced in Shakespeare. I just am me. And uh, I'm, I'm basically Larry from Brooklyn. And Larry from Brooklyn has been put on this stage where he gets to interview presidents and kings and stars and athletes. And, but he's still Larry from Brooklyn. I'm just Larry from Brooklyn. My friend Herbie, my lifelong friend, he says the secret of Larry's success is he's dumb. <laughs> he, he created a vacuum and filled it. In other words, he doesn't know. Help me is what he's saying. I, I, I don't know. And that's basically what I'm doing. I don't know. And a lot of these broadcasters now are pompous. They know. They know more than a guest. They know everything. I don't learn from that. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. All right, back to Larry King. Do you believe that everyone is interesting and that it's your job to sort of figure out what's interesting about them? Yeah, some more interesting than others, but sure, everyone's interesting. There isn't a person alive who doesn't think that they're interesting. Now, my job is to make that interesting come out. So I've done our interviews with plumbers because the plumber knows what he does. Not It's not uninteresting to him. I've got to make it interesting for me. I've read, I've often, I'll pick up at the New Yorker and guy does an article on pelicans, and I, I'll get engrossed in that article, and I'll learn about pelicans. I had no interest in pelicans before turning that page, and that writer in that interesting way has made me interested in pelicans. So if I'm interviewing a, a bird expert, I'm going to ask the kind of good questions that make you 
the listener, and me, the host, interested in pelicans. What does a pelican do? What makes a pelican different from other birds? How can a pelican fly? How do they make? You know what I mean? I'm just throwing these at you. Absolutely, yeah. And you can, you can find the passion in the answer. So the question itself doesn't necessarily matter. It's just a vehicle for the guest, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. And have you ever felt like someone was blatantly lying to you in an interview? Have you ever asked a question and gotten something that you just know is patently false? Well, they're hesitant. I, I, I don't know if they're lying, but I mean, you could guess. I let the audience will make up its own mind about the guest. If the guest said, I wasn't there that day, I don't know if they were there that day. So I could think maybe they're lying. I could, I don't know. I am not. I'm not everywhere. I don't. Uh, not tell you nothing. I don't assume. I never had an agenda. I never went on the air saying I'm going to expose something. I learn. So yeah, I guess I'm sure I've been lied to. I've been lied to by Lance Armstrong. I interviewed him three times. He lied every time. But I didn't know he was lying when I was interviewing him. If he said I didn't take drugs, I don't know if he took drugs. Is there a time you really felt like you had to hold back as an interviewer? Yeah, as in, you just, you know there's something brewing under there, but you don't want to make either the guest angry, you don't want to approach a certain topic. How do you dance around that, or do you? Sinatra's representative, when I interviewed him the first time, said that he didn't want to talk about his son's kidnapping. And I said, okay, that's fair, you know, it's not part of his singing life, and if it was hurtful to him, I don't want to harm him, he doesn't want to talk about the kidnapping. And in the middle of the interview, I was talking about the press and whether the press was rough on him or uh, if he had it, if he was bum wrapped or if he had a sincere, you know, was he was he ever wrong in his dealings with them? And he said, well, take the kidnapping. He brought it up. That came from good questioning. Uh, if you're talking to a mafia leader, uh, how does it feel to be branded as a mafia leader? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You, people say you're a criminal. How do you react to that? That's what I mean. By you're being sincerely curious, hopefully they're going to be open with you. Hey, all you can do is hope for the best. And as right. I said, it ain't brain surgery. The world will go on. If I go on at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock will come around. I do the best I can. It ain't perfect. I love making people laugh. Mm-hmm. I love comedy. I love the whole ball of wax. I love the world of communications. Now, you're looking at at this from a brand new angle. I mean, you're an old media pioneer, or at least traditional media pioneer, and you've fully embraced new media, and most broadcasters are kind of loath to do that. I mean, you see a lot of the same personalities that have been around for a long time, not as long as you have, basically saying, oh, the, you know, the internet broadcasting thing is not going to take off, or sticking with a traditional medium. Do you, why do you think that is, and, and why have you I know, been so different? Because I trust other people. I, I like young people. I trust that other thing. Hey, I'm not an expert. I don't know how the Internet works. I don't like cell phones, but I respect them. I respect that that's what's happening. But I do, my work is the same as it's always been. I ask questions. The method of delivery is different. So I'm delivered on the Internet. I'm delivered by a podcast. It's still a method of delivery. I'm not doing anything different. I'm doing the same thing I did in 1957. The method is different. There were no satellites then. Now I got satellites. Now I got the internet. Where's the internet? I don't know where the internet is. Where is the internet? I I mean, I don't know either, (laughs) frankly. Where is it? Right. So I use it, but I don't know where it is. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. I mean, you have such a long-term view of modern media, and, and that in general is unique. 
Do you see this all going in a certain direction? I mean, you can't predict the future, of course. You can, I can't predict. Boy, this business, I can't, the, the technology changes so much. It's riveting how much it changes. My 15-year-old my just got the Apple Watch. My 15-year-olds don't even need lessons in it. I said, did you ask the man how it works? He said, no, I know, I know how it works. And uh, he's got this watch, and he hits little buttons, and he gets baseball scores, and he gets movie reviews, and he can also talk to people. It's a phone. He can get. He just tells time. It gives you weather all around the world. How does it do that? It's amazing, right? It's walking around this little watch. The whole world is in that watch. It's like Dick Tracy. Yeah, that's unfreaking believable to me. It's, um, it's unbelievable to see this technology. I, I, I spoke in South Korea. I speak all over the world. I spoke in South Korea. I went to the Samsung factory. It's unbelievable what they're thinking out there. Yeah, that's that stuff is fascinating. I mean, on that note, is there something that you would love to see happen in your lifetime? And I'm not talking about like world peace or you know ending of the Arab-Israeli conflict. I mean, some some sort of innovation or something in this area, especially that you would just love to see happen. Well, we have uh, driverless cars now. Are you interested in that? I'd like to see how it works. I'm not going to be the first one in it, <laughs> but I'm interested in the technology. I, I have no technical knowledge, but I'm interested in seeing it work. I'd like to see, uh, I'd like to travel to speed of light. Why? Get there faster. <laughs> where, where are you going, Larry? <laughs> um, a lot of time is spent uh, getting there. So the faster I get there, the better it is. I'll tell you what I like. I like to live forever. Um, I like there's someone to come up with a pill where you don't die. Uh, because the thought of not existing is crazy to me. To not exist is unbelievable. And uh, so I'd like to exist. Someone, that would be the best thing. Is that a function of, of fear of death, or is that more of a function of your curiosity, wanting to live forever? Both. It's a combination. It's half and half. <laughs> I fear not being around, and I fear that, my, for example, if I die today, who's going to win the World Series? <laughs> the World who's Series is what you're going to be the next, Who's going to be the next president? I won't know. So my curiosity won't be filled, and I won't exist at the same time. So how are my boys going to do? Are they going to play Major League Baseball? They're good. How good will they be? I won't know. I won't know. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in uh, a life after death. I don't believe any of that. I think that's superstitious. So that's it. That's so. My answer to what I want to see is eternal life. Right. Wow. So not it's unlimited by your lifetime because it becomes a non-issue. Correct. Yeah. Wow. I I can definitely identify with that, and and I'm I'm a little bit younger than you as well, but I do understand. It's just I just want to know what's going to happen, and. The idea of not being able to be a part or even to know is is somehow, it, it aggravates me at some level. I was going to ask a little bit about criticism. Criticism had never bothered me because uh, I know I did my best. And if I read a critic that has helped me, I, I would use it. You know, if a critic writes, boy, if he, if he should have done this and I could learn from that. But a critic who just says, uh, I, I don't like Larry King or something, I don't care about that. I just go on. You know, if, if I'm doing my best, that should be all that matters. Well, I'll wrap with this because it's a little bit silly and upbeat. Is there something that's happened to you that you just found really interesting or cool or fun just because you're a recognizable guy? And I don't mean the success and wealth part. I mean, you know, I get free cheesecake at the Cheesecake Factory because the waitress thinks I'm cute. I'm guessing you have a better example. I get, I, I get good seats at games. 
I get tables at restaurants. Uh, traffic cops don't ticket me. You get a lot of a lot of breaks of celebrities that occur, and they're very nice. I get treated well at airports. It that's the pluses of of uh, fame. They're nice pluses. Sometimes they're annoyances, but I'm very good. I take pictures with people. I sign orders. You know, what am I going to be better than that? Because you know, but uh, recognition is. Uh, I went into a field where recognition is a result. Can't complain about. It. I hate people saying, "God, these people." Why would it bother me? That's why I chose the business I'm in. Is it why you chose the business you're in, or was it just because of the curiosity? No, it's factor? a byproduct of the business I'm in. I chose right. a business where, in turn, if you're good at it, you will be well known. As opposed to, let's say, if I chose carpentry, I could be the best carpenter. I may not be well-known, but I chose a business in which the result of which fame occurred. I didn't go into it for fame. I love to communicate, but fame results from it if you're good at it. My boys want to be baseball players. They're good at it. If they're very good at it, fame will result. But they're not going into it to be, be famous. They're going into it to be good ball players. Well, thank you very much, Larry. I know you've got to run, and I appreciate your time. My pleasure. Wonderful talking to you. I hope you enjoyed that. That was really fun. I only knew just right before it was going to happen that it was going to happen. So that was really fun for me. Really short notice. And uh, as you can see, you know, some of the topics really work and some really don't. When you don't have that much time to prep, things turn out really different, especially for an off-topic guest like Larry King. The show's a fanarchy. It's run by you. I rely on you to keep my finger on the pulse. So if you know someone is a good fit for the show, let me know. Jordan at theartofcharm.com. And if you enjoyed this, don't forget to thank Larry King on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as as well as other resources mentioned on the show, which were, in my memory, none. Uh, but I post a lot on Twitter as well. Articles, insights, and other things. I'm at The Art of Charm on Twitter. Our live boot camp details on the website, our blog on the website, our apps on the website. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of The Art of Charm podcast. Go ahead and tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week, and leave everything and everyone better than you found it. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com. 